Hey guys, and welcome back to the Dwelling Logs Podcast. I am Bonnie. I'm a Jesus lover, farmer's wife, and second generation homeschooling mom. I was homeschooled from K-12 myself. I have three kids, and I started Dwelling Logs to share things from my life and my heart that will encourage and help other moms and facilitate the foundational building blocks of our homes, kids, our parenting, and I usually emphasize homeschooling quite a lot. Uh, Today, I am going to actually emphasize just something more general as moms or people. Um, I am a Christian mom and so I was I wanted to do a podcast on people pleasing I kind of alluded to that in my last podcast that it was on my mind on my mind and I have some notes that I've been taking uh, to talk about but as I was thinking about this podcast cast today I I actually before I was thinking about it I went through some of my old blogs I had an old blog it was called Bonnie and Penn it was on like blogspot.com which is now blogger um, and I wrote a blog called facing my fears in today's church and it was after a time in my life where uh, there was some church politics going on and things were hard and I was clinging to faith and learning to cling to my faith more than cling to the church um, anyway so that's where kind of where my background church heart was at and I wrote this blog and as I was reading it today I realized quickly that this it was so much about people pleasing and I started to cry and I started to think man I got to share this. When I talk about people-pleasing, I have to share this. So I'm going to read my my blog. I will link it below if you'd rather read it yourself, and that's cool. Um, But I would like to read it for you guys. And if it goes super long, I'm going to make this a part one and two podcast. We'll see where time is at, so you can watch the title for part one or two. But basically, I want to go into my my blog site here, and I just want to read through what I wrote. And this was back, I wonder if there's a date on here. I don't actually see a date. I'm sure I could find it, but it was it was it was a year years ago, anyways. But my heart is just poured out here, and I think it's really good. So here is the introduction. I grew up in a wonderful home. My parents were new believers when I came into this world, and they set an enthusiastic example of parents creating a family beaming with love for Christ and buzzing with action that followed suit. Some of my earliest memories are things like dressing warm on a cold day to go door to door and deliver the Jesus video with a group from church. My mother doing my makeup before our whole family went on stage to help with the Easter performance at the Jubilee Auditorium in Edmonton. The whole family going to church for Kids Club where my parents helped teach as my sister and I went with our appropriate age groups to learn. I remember having families and people from our church visit us in our home and us visiting them in their homes and not on a Sunday. These fellow believers saw we saw at church became our close family friends and we spent time with them throughout the week too. In 1993, my dad turned his auto body business, turned in his auto body business, hung up his coveralls and moved our family to Three Hills, Alberta to attend Bible school there. Five years later, our family stepped into our very first mission church and started the pastor's family life. When someone says pastor's family, I have two words that translate that. Fish bowl. If there's one thing the child of a pastor knows, it's that everyone is watching. All skeptical eyes are on you in the church, and afterwards there's no room for mistakes or ill behavior. Or that pink telephone sitting on the television box will let a loud ring, and the voice on the other end of the line will unleash devastation into your mother's ear. I embraced my position as the goldfish and was generally a good child. I wouldn't do this in case someone was watching, and I wouldn't wear that in case someone didn't approve, and I wouldn't say it in that way in case someone was easily offended. Now in reality, maybe I really shouldn't do this or wear that or say it in that way, but my whole motivation for behavior was entangled in a big messy fear for people pleasing. 
Where, where were my thoughts of the Lord? My moral judgment was based on the scary faces that stared at me instead of my motive staring on the, at the face of the omniscient judge. This has led to a life struggle with my own motivation. There is no pleasing God in pleasing others. There is only pleasing God in pleasing Him that others may see it. Afraid not to please. Why is it that as humans we have fear of not pleasing people? Or maybe even a fear of not making others think we are the greatest? The, the definition of fear as a noun is an unpleasant emotion caused by being aware of danger, a feeling of being afraid, a feeling of respect and wonder for something very powerful, or verb, to be afraid of, to expect worry about, to be afraid and worried. Fear synonyms, alarm, anxiety, dread, fearfulness, fright, horror, panic, scare, terror, trepidation, bother, worry, fret, fuss, stew, stress, sweat, trouble. Take a look at these definitions of fear. Any words stand out? Try putting a few of them in front of a sentence that says blank in today's church. Not very fitting, is it? This is a fear with worn and etched corners that have done their share of digging into my peace and trust and my motivation. This is a fear that comes from not knowing what people will think or how they will react. This insecurity that sees us glance at the faces around us when we open our mouths in order to search for approval in their eyes and in their gestures. An ongoing strain, uh, an ongoing strain to think of some witty word or educated answer to win over any face not offering us the signal we were hoping for. This fear overtakes us as we stand in a circle of women after church. When when an answer is asked for at Bible study, or when we are pressed into conversation in a grocery store aisle with an all-put-together someone who usually rubs us the wrong way. Some of us are great pretenders. We develop a knack for keeping conversation going. We leave no room for any retaliating words that may, be, that may contain rebuttal. We learn to stand tall when our insides are shrinking. We master the carefree smile that we need to wear to hide the huge weight inside us that carries the troubles of our imperfect life. Others, however, may turn to criticism for everyone and everything around them, resourcing them as a step to stand on and look like they're ahead above the rest. Some turn to inward criticism that they dramatize for all to take notice in hopes that others will look on them with more pity than judgment. Some turn, in, uh, some turn to inward criticism and don't let anyone notice, leaving themselves as bait for the grisly bear of depression. Despite the popularity of these strategies, none of these sound like any good way to deal with the problem. What is the right response when we find ourselves afraid? What reaction does Christ expect when this ugly facet of fear comes slicing through our day like the point of a perfectly aimed dart by the evil one? Galatians 6.4 says, Let everyone be sure to do his very best, for then he will have the personal satisfaction of work well done, or work done well and wouldn't need to compare himself with someone else. Striving to do good without comparing ourselves to others is a toughie. Some of us will take the route of looking at all the wonderfully talented and smart people around us and crawl back into our hole of timid idleness, accomplishing nothing for ourselves or for God. Fear beats us down and makes us forget that we are Christ's. We are children of the living God with God-given abilities that are far beyond our own. Others stuck with this fear will take the opportunity for a little self-boasting and decide to climb up on their high horse because in their eyes, they've won the comparison and are ready to elevate themselves. And in Jesus' name, no less. A portion of these will be able to hide their fearfulness even from themselves with chronic arrogance that they carry, whereas the other portion are made up of fear-driven pretenders with fear driving them only to masquerade as qualified. This comment struck a chord as I read it. 
It says, it is very common for a man to look upon himself as wiser and better than other men and as fit to dictate to them. Such a one de deceives himself by pretending to what he has not, he puts a cheat upon himself, and sooner or later we will find the sad effects. This will never gain esteem either with God or men. That was from Matthew Henry's uh, concise commentary. Fear can drive us to pretend. Pretending to be an awesome, smart, talented Christian gets us nowhere. Galatians 1 verse 10. For I am now seeking the approval of man or God. Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. The word please here in this verse comes from the Greek word aresko. I don't know if I'm saying that right. <laughs> uh, meaning I please with the idea of willing service renders to others. Hence almost I serve from Strong's Concordance. This word gives the air of winning someone's favor in meeting their expectations, especially in moral standards. The same word is used again in Thessalonians. Thessalonians 2 verse 4 says, But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our heart. The number one thing we need to get straight in our heads right now is that we are supposed to be pleasing our Heavenly Father, not the people we pass on the street, not the pastor of our church, not the ladies organizing the potluck, not the parents of our Sunday school students. If our fear is driving us to make it on our peers' moral level, we've got to cut our objectives that strive to meet their expectations. Examine our motives. Dig way down into the truest part of our souls and ask ourselves who we really bother to give our service to. Service is great, don't get me wrong. God wants us to have servant attitudes and actions, but, capital B-U-T, He wants us to serve Him and glorify His name. Maybe you are exactly where you're supposed to be serving. You just need to focus adjustment and get God as your prime focus. On the other hand, perhaps too many of us are, Perhaps as too many of us are, you have been so busy giving your service to please others in all of the wrong places that you've been ignoring the spot God, the Lord has been patiently waiting for you to come to all along. In 1 Timothy, Paul writes a beautiful letter to a young man, a letter to uphold him, encourage him, advise him, and instruct him. We read chapter 4, Paul's call for Timothy to be an example, a model for others to see. He is not called to please others, but to be a figure that is God-pleasing. 1 Timothy 4 verse 12 says, Do not let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and purity. There's no denying that we are watched. I'm not arguing that we have no reason to take note when we walk into a room full of brothers and sisters, sad as it is, that feel that they have the right to analyze and judge the amount of goodness we are wearing. The point is, we should be putting on our robes of speech purged of e evil, righteous conduct, unending love, unwavering faith, and genuine purity. But we should be wearing them for our king. There is no one else worth dressing in our best for. Let's try this one. Holy fear. Noun. A feeling of respect and wonder for something very powerful. Reverence. Let's put holy fear in front of our sentence that says, Fear in today's church. It makes a perfectly fit replacement, doesn't it? Okay, so now that we have listened to me read my old blog post, which kind of gives you a frame of like where I'm coming from and where my heart is at and was at years ago, it's still at the same 
So same place. Um, I want to go through my notes about people pleasing that I had before that I want to go through because I think it's important to analyze people pleasing a little bit and I do have a little bit more to say because I have grown and changed a little bit from when I did my blog post uh, years ago. So first of all, I am a people pleaser. You already heard that from what I read. Um, I, I am someone who who cares about people and I I care too much. So I'm a self-diagnosed unhealthy people pleaser. Not to say that there can't be a balance in there. You, As you heard, I have a background of being a missionary kid. I was taught to please. I was taught to help. So not a, it wasn't like missionary life was just awful and you know like something where you're just accused and watched all the time and it was terrible but you were also taught to help and I have strengths from that I can roll up my sleeves and pitch in very easily I love to help people I feel fulfilled in work I there's a there's a beauty in that too that kind of life even though it made me a people pleaser it taught me how to help and not sit on my butt and not help anybody so because there's there's that out there too <laughs> so I am working on it you can Check back with me later because I am still in the thick of it, still working on it. Um, there are two aspects of people pleasing that I want to sort of identify as I was analyzing people pleasing. I think there's the aspect of insecurity, where it comes from, and also the aspect of anxiety. Now, I would tend to think that for myself, I, I, I sort of am less on the insecurity end of it. The insecurity end of it, it can come from poor self-image or you just really need to be liked by people. Um, I do tend to want to be liked by people. That is me. I don't see myself as an insecure person, but maybe I am a little bit because I do love to be liked. If I sense that I'm not liked by someone, it bothers me. So obviously I do struggle somewhat with insecurity, but more than that, I struggle on the anxiety end. So holding on to lost moments or moments of regret, worrying about possible moments of regret, like I'll go through scenarios, if something happens that isn't ideal, uh, then I'll like run through like, what am I going to do next time? What could I have said? What am I going to say the next time? So like there's there's this anxiety of like role playing and screen playing in my head that goes on that is very unhealthy. All right. So those are two unhealthy aspects of people pleasing. And the truth is that people pleasers can be liars. In fact, I think if I'm honest, people pleasers are usually liars. Not you can speak words of truth the whole time. I can I can be an honest word person, but if I am motivated to do things to please people, to gain friends, and I if I'm strategizing about what I'm doing, I am lying in my actions. I'm not being genuine. So, I mean, call it lying, call it dishonesty, call it ingenuine, whatever you want to label it. That's the negative side of people pleasing. But it's not all bad. There is a balance. Like I said before, people pleasing can be helpful. People pleasing can be someone who cares. I have people in my life who are not people pleasers who don't care enough about people and it bugs me. It's like someone needs a hug or some encouragement or we should do something for someone and they are completely unmotivated to go and help or to say something or to text them or to send them a message because and that's my gift. That's the gift of people pleasing is that I look for ways to encourage people. So it is a double-edged sword and there has to be a balance in there somewhere. I have not found it yet. Okay, 
So a couple of truths, a few truths that I want to leave you guys with before I end this podcast is truth. It's okay if your friendships don't look like the ones on movies and social media. We watch movies and Hollywood and they represent these friendships that are tight and close and you finish each other's sentences and you hang out every day and things like that. And it is okay if your friendships don't look like that. I have best friends who are far away. I have friends who are, I could get there and could visit them in a day, but it's usually, we only see each other like once every few months. It's not ideal, but it is okay if your friendships look like that. You don't need to, don't take what the world and what what media shows you as perfect friendships and think that you have to model that. That's just, again, it's it's giving you false motivation for your actions. And also, it's okay if your friendships don't look like someone else's. You know, you see other friends and how much they're hanging out with people or things that look like great friendships, even on Facebook. Like you see people like, oh yeah, I tagged this friend and this friend and we went out and it was so fun. And you see other friendships and you're like, wow, why don't I go out with my friends? Why don't, why don't my friendships look like that? I need a selfie with my bestie. Again, it just fuels false motivation. It doesn't need to be that.